Welcome to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio, sponsored by EarthX, the world's largest environmental experience, and also sponsored by Natural Awakenings Magazine. Live your healthiest life on a healthier planet. Now here's your host, Bernice Butler. Welcome to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio today. We are now well into our fourth season, and we remain just as excited as ever to help you explore and understand that unbreakable relationship between your health and the health of the planet. Here, we look at the hottest topics related to our environment and its sustainability and how they affect your health and wellness. Here, issues like climate change, plastic pollution, extreme weather events, and others will meet up with everyday impacts like allergies and asthma, digestive issues and gut health, cancers, lung and heart issues, and more. So listen in today for today's show on Earth Day Month, the theme of which for this year is investing in our planet. And today we're going to focus in on how does investing in our planet look to and look for our future generations. Now, as the world faces the consequences of climate change and environmental degradation, it's important to consider what future generations will think of us and will think of our actions today. What can we do now to invest in the planet for their future? What does investment look like to future generations who will, of course, inherit the earth that we leave behind, we hope? Well, one of the most important things we can do to invest in the planet for the future generations is to transition to renewable energy sources. And we hear daily about this, so I think everybody's kind of got this. Fossil fuels are a major, if not the major, contributor to climate change, and we need to reduce our dependence on them. And, of course, investing in renewable energy, such as solar and wind power, will not only help reduce greenhouse gas emissions for the future, but it will also create new jobs and stimulate economic growth. Another important thing we can do is to reduce waste and recycle. And this very important step really deals with the amount of waste because we produce waste in quantities that are staggering. And much of it ends up in landfills or it ends up polluting our oceans and our waterways and just the side of the road, quite frankly. Recycling is a great way to reduce waste and conserve resources as well. And we can also reduce waste by using reusable products and avoiding single-use plastics. Another way that we invest in our future is by protecting biodiversity. And this means that the diversity of living things. And it's essential for the health of our planet as well as our own personal health. We need to protect ecosystems and habitats and preserve our endangered species. And this can be done through conservation efforts and by reducing our individual impact on the environment. We can also support organizations and there are many of them that work to protect biodiversity and organizations that advocate for policies that prioritize conservation of all of our resources. We can also invest for future generations by investing in sustainable agriculture because this is an important area. We need to find ways to produce our food that are environmentally sustainable and socially responsible because we have to eat but we can do it and produce that food in a lot better way. And this can be done through organic farming, through reducing food waste, and supporting local 
farmers and local food systems. We can also advocate for policies that promote sustainable agriculture and reduce the use of harmful pesticides and fertilizers, because that's probably the bulk of the problem with agriculture. In addition to the land space that it takes, it's all those nasty things that we put on it to make it good and make it safe. Another way is environmental education. We need to invest in environmental education for our future generations as well as our current uh, generation. We need to teach children and young adults, as well as us older adults, about the importance of environmental stewardship and equip them with the knowledge and the skills they need to make a positive impact on the planet. And this can be done through school programs, community initiatives, as well as investing more in some of our online resources. Now, this Earth Day, the U.S. Congress, though, has finally given us a climate milestone to celebrate. Late last year, of course, after years of gridlock and inertia, Congress passed and President Biden signed a landmark bill to curb carbon emissions, accelerate the national transition to clean energy economy, and remedy our failing infrastructure, as well as address our historic environmental justice. And of course, that was the Inflation Reduction Act. I guess you wonder, like me, what does that have to do with climate change? I don't know, but it was a landmark climate change bill. And these once-in-a-generation investments that this bill ushered in and funded present an extraordinary opportunity to make big, bold moves for the planet, for our health, and our future. Investments at this scale, and the nominal price tag is about $369 billion, which I can't even fathom, uh, but the ultimate spending tally will likely approach $1 trillion, as well as give life to climate action at the state level and the regional levels where it's very critical. They'll also provide resources to boost the ambitions of states with strong climate laws, to amplify the impact of new state rules and policies, and to ensure that the disadvantaged, vulnerable communities benefit fully from this funding. And, of course, there's no time to lose. Just last month, the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change warned that if we continue along our current path, the climate will rocket past 2.7 degrees Fahrenheit of warming by early 2030s. And, of course, that's just like six or seven years from now. And that will result in severe climate disruption, which we're really seeing some of that already. It'll also result in conflict. We're seeing a lot of wars that arguably may be caused by climate refugees. We're seeing drought and hunger worldwide. And uh, as we talk about this, the 83-degree mid-April day that we're having here, and I'm sure a lot of other places are having it, it hardly needs convincing for me as well as a number of others. Now, we now have the opportunity to alter that path, though, to act boldly, to innovate broadly, and to invest equitably. Several models suggest that the new funding that came about as a result of the Inflation Reduction Act will allow the U.S. to achieve emissions cuts of 40 percent by 2035. And that takes us back to a comparable level of emissions that we had back in 2005, rather than the 25 percent that we're on track to achieve here shortly. Such deeper cuts would be made possible by an array of provisions to accelerate the clean energy transition that we need to slow the current climate crisis. And these include about $200 billion in incentives to ramp up solar, wind, energy storage, and efficiency on the grid.
There's also included here $60 billion worth of investments in clean energy technology manufacturing and another $60 billion worth of investments in environmental justice. And there are also provisions to boost climate-friendly agriculture, to protect our coastal communities against climate threats, you know, like the water they're seeing standing in the streets in South Florida, as well as to encourage and promote the purchase of electric vehicles. Investing in our planet for future generations is absolutely essential if we want to ensure a healthy and sustainable future for them as well as ourselves. And so by transitioning to renewable energy, by reducing waste, by protecting our biodiversity and investing in sustainable agriculture, as well as supporting and ramping up environmental education for all, then we can make a positive impact on the planet today in order to leave a better world for our future generations. Now, this is a lot, but here today to help us out, we've got some experts from both spectrums of this. We've got an expert uh, from our youth advocacy and uh, youth climate uh, movements, as well as a meteorologist who can help us understand uh, what we're seeing today. We have with us Lauren Casey. Lauren is a meteorologist for the Climate Matters program at Climate Central. Lauren specializes in communicating the connections between climate change and extreme weather. In her role, she supports Climate Central's extensive network of meteorologists and journalists to provide tools and resources that best enable them to tell the climate stories impacting our audiences and help our audiences understand what's going on. Prior to joining Climate Central, Lauren worked as a broadcast meteorologist for more than 15 years, mostly at CBS3 in Philadelphia. Welcome, Lauren. And did I get all of that right? You did get that correct. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for clearing your schedule to join us. Our other guest is Grace Dolichal. Grace is the Pacific Northwest Field Organizer for Our Climate. At Our Climate, she works to empower young people to organize for climate justice across Washington and Oregon. And Grace is a lifelong environmental activist who has organized and lobbied for public policy and is a strong advocate within the youth environmental movement and has been since she was 14 years old and Grace was blessed to attend COP25. Welcome, Grace. And did I get all of that right? Thank you. Yes, you did get all of that right. And we greatly appreciate you clearing your schedule to join us. And back with us as our guest host is Trammell S. Crow, who is our own Dallas green businessman, is what I like to call him. But Trammell is a philanthropist and also the founder of EarthX, which is the world's largest environmental experience. And they've recently moved into EarthX Film, which has a lot to offer. And EarthX is coming up next weekend. And so we're excited about it. Welcome. Welcome back, Trammell. We're glad that you could make it back with us today. Thank you. It's good to be back. I look forward to a really healthy discussion today. I am, too. Thank you all. We're going to go to break, and we'll be right back with this group of smart people who will make us all smarter, too. We want to give a shout out now to our sponsors. That is Natural Awakenings, Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex Magazine, the Green, Healthy, and Sustainable Living Authority for the DFW Metroplex and North Texas communities. Print issues of Natural Awakenings can be found in all HEB stores, natural grocers, all central markets, sunflower shops, many hospital office buildings, 
and many, many other locations, as well as available free for download online at nadallas.com. Check them out. Our other sponsor is North Haven Gardens, serving the Metroplex since 1951, the most respected horticultural establishment in North Texas, offering gardening and plant education, concierge services, DIY classes, gifts, and more. Check them out at nhg.com. Our other sponsor is Lynn Dental Care, practicing dentistry for over 38 years, non-mercury with a holistic approach, looking at the whole body. Specializing in periodontics, Dr. Lynn is board certified by the International Academy of Oral Medicine and Toxicology. Check them out at lynndentalcare.com. Thank you, sponsors. Welcome back to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio today. To today's episode on Earth Day Month, Investing in Our Planet, focusing today on how does investing in our planet look to and how does it look for our future generations. And we are back with our guest co-host, Trammell S. Crow, founder of EarthX, which, by the way, is happening this weekend, actually starting Thursday with their Congress of Conferences, and then Friday, Saturday, and Sunday with the Expo, which is my favorite thing. So, again, we thank you for founding that some 12 years or so ago, Trammell. Our other guests are Grace Dolichel with our climate and Lauren Casey with Climate Central. So again, thank you all again for, for joining us. I want to start out with Lauren. Lauren, you're a meteorologist with Climate Central. And so we want to talk a little bit here up front about how does meteorology help us understand the effects of climate change on our planet? And how do meteorologists predict and analyze the impacts of climate change on our planet? You told us earlier that it's not by throwing darts anymore. So (laughs) help us understand that. Yeah, the science has moved along since the dart-throwing days (laughs) in meteorology. Well, those are great questions, Bernice. And the study of meteorology is essentially the study of the atmosphere and all of the interactions that take place within this complex system. And then myriad signals of climate change are atmospheric in nature, talking about extreme weather, increased heavy rainfall, increasing severe storms, rapidly intensifying hurricanes, extreme and persistent heat. The list goes on and on and on. Now, how do we predict and analyze the impacts of climate change on our planet? Well, we use numerical weather models to forecast out into the future climate models known as general circulation models and basically models just use a lot of complex math to simulate the atmosphere both in the present and in the past additionally to model data we use observations so what's happening on the ground and what has happened and we can do that by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere to tell us that. Now, I, I think that Climate Central is a wonderful organization, but help me understand a little bit how they came into being. Was it a result of climate change or were they around before but then begin to focus in on climate change or what? Sure. Climate Central is a nonprofit organization where non-advocacy started in 2008 uh, by a broadcast meteorologist who was seeing the impacts of climate change around him. Climate science was continuing to advance and wanted to find a way to disseminate this crucial information to members of the public. So started this program where Climate Central would provide the tools needed for broadcast meteorologists 
to explain to viewers what was going on with the atmosphere and the impacts of climate change and increasing carbon in our atmosphere. I don't hear as often as I would like to hear the weather people telling us now we're having this and this is happening and it's a result of climate change. How do you all measure the impact that you're having? Because, as you said, the whole point of of Climate Central was to be able to help uh, meteorologists explain to people that a lot of what they're seeing is a result of climate change. How are you measuring how impactful that's been? Sure. Yeah, we keep track of any and every uh, appearance of Climate Central data or graphics across all forms of media. So we have a network of broadcast meteorologists and journalists as well across all forms of media. So talking about TV, digital, newspaper, and we have about a thousand broadcast meteorologists within our network in Climate Central and about 3,000 journalists on board who receive our products on a weekly basis at minimum. And then we do track all of those articles that are printed, of which there are tens of thousands at this point and thousands of TV hits as well. Indeed. You know, it, in my perfect world, I would love to see on television, along with the weather reports, you know, they now report on pollen and allergen. I'd love to see a, a regular report similar on climate change effects today. You know, how is climate change impacting this weather that we're looking out, seeing and feeling today? Just like they tell about the what kinds of pollens are in the air. But I'll continue to dream about that until it becomes well, a reality. That's, that's out there and people are covering climate change and using Climate Central data to do so. Just recently we released an allergy report and I myself on the team did maybe 30 interviews regarding that week's release alone. Well, thank you all for that, because that's part of what we do here as well. And I know a lot of information is coming up uh, this weekend with EarthX, but to get really get people sensitized to what they're how what they're seeing and feeling around them is impacted by climate change and how it intersects with our environment and various environmental issues to get it to be top of mind. But thank you. Thank you, uh, Lauren, for that. want to move now to Grace, though. Grace, as a youth organizer and a youth advocate, what do the youth of our world, of our country, and I guess of the U.S., what do they see as the current most persistent environmental challenges facing our planet today? Um, well, I would say just first and foremost, the climate crisis and how inhabitable it's making our planet. You know, Lauren talked briefly about environmental disasters that are happening as a result of the climate crisis. And we're seeing that more and more every single year. And as young people are you know, going into the world and going into the workforce, it's just a very scary fate to think about just how inhabitable our planet is becoming. And, I, and so I think young people definitely are concerned a lot about our dependency on fossil fuels and also just our continuing feeding into these systems of oppression like capitalism that have created the climate crisis in the first place and um, are creating a, a space in a future where young people can't you know, get ahead and can't survive. Young people are already facing these um, inhabitable environmental disasters and then they're also facing lack of affordable housing or safe housing um, to protect them from these environmental disasters. Um, lack of access to public transportation or clean transportation um, they don't have clean air and water. They aren't making livable wages, so they can't afford health care. They can't afford healthy food. They can't afford to actually survive, and that puts them more at risk 
for climate-related disasters than other generations before them who do have more of those privileges of local wages and, and affordable housing. Um, and so I think really the, the solution to that and how young people are proposing to address them is just really investing into those communities and investing into things like affordable housing, like healthcare, like renewable energy, so that we're both curbing the climate crisis, but we're also resilient to the climate disasters that we're seeing year after year. Indeed. And and I've we had someone a couple years ago, I think it was from the Sunrise Movement. And I, I'm going to ask you kind of a similar thing that I ask them, and that is to help connect the dots for us again. You did somewhat, but I, I, I want to lay it out because very often what we're hearing is climate change, social equity, affordable housing. And I think that's kind of where the, the Green New Deal went. And I do not see it perhaps as, a, as, a, as something that was widely understood. And, and I think a lot of things have to do with how you communicate them. So as we talk about climate change and environmental issues, again, where is the intersection with those other two? Connect the dots yeah, for us. Yeah, I think climate change intersects with every single issue that we're seeing you know, in our world today. And climate change is a direct result from things like white supremacy and capitalism that put us into these issues of lack of affordable housing. Um, and so lack of affordable housing is a, is a big issue for the climate crisis. Um, when I talk about this, I share a story of just my own personal experience. So I went to college in Oregon and I was in living in Oregon in the summer of 2020 and we saw just unprecedented wildfire season in that summer. Um, and I didn't have access to affordable housing. I was in college. I didn't make a lot of money. And so the house that I lived in was really old. It was really run down. And that summer, we had heat waves of up to 120 degrees. Um, we had, you know, smoke. Like, the, the sky was literally orange. We couldn't go outside for days on end because the wildfire smoke was so bad. But because I didn't have access to um, fair, you know, affordable housing, I was living in a very rundown house that didn't protect me very adequately from those climate disasters. So the smoke was, you know, seeping in through the windows because the house was old. Um, that house also always flooded every time it rained in the wintertime. Um, and so, you know, every time we're seeing environmental disasters, if we don't have access to safe, affordable housing, we're going to end up in these old rundown houses that are going to be impacted more by the climate crisis. And we're on the front lines today. Um, so that's just one example, and there are tons of, of young people, of people in low-income communities, um, indigenous, black, and brown communities that are facing these same issues and don't have access to safe housing that adequately protects them from the climate disasters that we're seeing. Indeed. We just have a few minutes to go, but this is what I wanted you to, to focus in on, though. So would you, which would you attack first? Um, I really think first we need to address affordable housing. We need to address these issues that are on the front lines, right? Because when we invest in things like affordable housing, when we invest in protecting people, how they're being impacted right now, then that feeds upwards into also investing into the planet and investing into climate solutions. Like affordable housing is a climate solution. And because that is a, a big issue that's putting people on the front lines right now, that's where we should be starting. Indeed. And we just have one minute to go before we go to a uh, break. But one last thing uh, for you, Grace. And I know that having done a lot of reading, that sometimes that can be, can cause confusion. You know, as we talk about the, the next seven years when we've got to get 
uh, climate change under control to reach our goals. And then there's affordable housing, too. Uh, seems to me in that probably one of the most uh, effective things to do is to infuse sustainability and climate change solutions into everything that that we do. And I think that would perhaps help the, the, the greatest number of people. Anyway, we're going to go ahead and go to break. And we will be right back on the other side with Grace uh, Dalshell with our climate, with Lauren Casey from Climate Central, and our guest co-host, Tremelis Crow. Thank you. Welcome back to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio today. To today's show on Earth Day Month, the theme of which is investing in our planet. And today we're digging into how does investing in our planet look to and look for our future generations. And we have back with us uh, Grace Dolshaw with our climate and Lauren Casey with Climate Central and our guest co-host today, Tremel S. Crow with the Earth X. Expo that's kicking off uh, this weekend, starting Thursday with the conferences and then the expo Friday, Saturday and Sunday. So, again, thank you so much, Trammell, for being with us. I know it's a, a busy season for you all, uh, but we want to go ahead and start out with you to talk with and explore some of this more with our guest. It's really hard to focus, Bernice, <laughs> when we've got tens of thousands of people coming to this fantastic event including a great uh, climate conference with the uh, uh, executive director of the American Meteorological Society. But I have some questions uh, to ask you, Lauren, to really understand it better. When you watch the weather report, you know, what is weather and what is climate? So maybe I could start by saying the, the extreme weather that we see, which parts of that is definitely a result of climate? Sure. That's a good question. So weather is what happens every day. It's your sensible weather, what's going on outside. And climate is a trend of all those days over a long period of time. So we're seeing those trends shifting. Um, there is also attribution science that is an emerging field, a burgeoning field, and it is rapidly advancing. So attribution science or extreme event attribution science takes a look at climate change and the events that happen, say a big flood or hurricane rains in Hurricane Ian. And we can look at the data and assign how much of an impact climate change had on that particular event. We can't decide, oh, climate change caused this event, but how much it magnified or intensified this event. So you're saying that it can't yet be said that climate causes an extreme weather event? It, climate change doesn't cause events, right? We have weather that, that occurs, weather phenomenon, right? We get severe thunderstorms, we get hurricanes, we get tornadoes, we get heat waves. But what happens is climate change magnifies these events. It enhances them. It fuels them up, makes them more intense, more unpredictable, and also causes them to be more persistent and certain events occurring outside the parameters of what you would find to be normal or typical. Now we're seeing, you know, the tornado season. We're seeing more tornadoes occurring during the winter months and early spring months. So tornado season is essentially expanding, partially fueled by climate change. And hurricanes, it's another area where the, the common knowledge 
just a year ago, I think they were saying climate is not causing the frequency increase of hurricanes. Yes, uh, climate change, there is no attribution connection at this point in the science to the frequency, or we're not seeing that signal of an increase in the number of hurricanes that develop. But we are seeing an increase in the number of hurricanes that rapidly intensify or become much, much stronger very, very quickly. And of course, that is extremely dangerous when we're talking about potentially landfalling hurricanes. I lived in South Florida, so I know that there is a benefit in having a while to prepare for them before they come. But I was going to ask you, too, uh, tagging on to Trammell's question, Lauren, can you connect the dots for us? Just like connect the dots for people as to what you just talked about, the the rapid intensity of hurricanes. How, how is that happening? Um, how does climate change interact with that? Like, does it make the water hotter or something like that or whatever, just so we kind of understand it a little bit better? Essentially, that is the case. Yes, we're seeing warming of sea surface temperatures. The ocean is the main fuel for a hurricane to maintain itself, maintain its structure, and to intensify. So the warmer the water, the more the hurricane likes that, and the more it's going to organize itself and the stronger it can get. So essentially, climate change-fueled, increases in ocean temperatures, particularly sea surface temperatures, are helping to drive this increasing trend in rapidly intensifying hurricanes. Okay. And and what about, I guess, other weather phenomena would be flooding? Is, it, is there an attribution? It, you can't say that climate change causes this, ABC, one, two, three, but you can say it contributes to it. And you've got that attribution science that kind of shows this. Right. Climate change doesn't cause weather. Weather exists and it existed previous to the pre-industrial era. In the pre-industrial era, there was weather. So we have weather. So climate change doesn't cause weather, but it makes the weather more extreme and more variable. So when it comes to flooding, because our atmosphere is warming, a warmer atmosphere can hold more moisture. So for every about one degree Fahrenheit, it can hold about 4% more, or excuse me, degrees Celsius can hold about 4% more water. So we have more water in the atmosphere essentially to rain down when it rains. So we're seeing that climate change signal. We would have rain before, but now we're seeing heavier rain, increased rainfall rates rain becoming more uh, sporadic or convective in nature. So thunderstorm driven. So, you know, you get a thunderstorm, you can have one at my house here and at my friend's house, you know, a mile or two down the road, they're seeing no rain. So we're seeing these uh, dramatic increases in the amount of rainfall, how fast it comes down. And then that leads to flooding, flash flooding, particularly in urban areas. Now, contributing to that is the built environment, right? You take an urban area and we have all this impervious surface. So the water has nowhere to go. So all of that water is coming down and it's just pooling and causing flooding. Then you get the situation where people are unfortunately trapped in their cars because of this flash flooding and onset is so quick. We're saying this is the month of uh, investing in climate in our planet. What kind of investments, economic and business investments, can be made to fight the increased intensity of weather. Right. Well, we're going to have to spend the money, right? We're either going to have to spend the money to clean up after a disaster or we're going to have to spend the money beforehand to prepare for the disaster. So, you know, to me, the, uh, the choice seems obvious. So one of those things, as I mentioned, with the urban flooding, 
Something we can invest in is green infrastructure. So taking those pervious surfaces, impervious surfaces, and make them more pervious by permeable pavements. That's a technology that's out there that allows for the essentially asphalt to absorb that water. Investing in green infrastructure, expanding the green environment in cities, such as community gardens, urban tree canopy, all of these you know, soil is much more absorptive than is asphalt. So we really need to invest in urban greenery as well to reduce that, not only flash flooding risk in the urban environment, but also heat island impacts, which is hugely impactful. Heat is the number one weather killer. And many people don't realize that because it's not as bombastic as a hurricane or a tornado, but heat is a huge concern, which also um, brings up concerns of climate equity as well. Is it the, the extra premium cost for these things that are preventing them from being adopted more quickly, like uh, green roofs, these huge warehouses that could have a white reflective surface that would make a big, big difference? Is it really that expensive to do these things? Um, in some, it, it shouldn't be, and I think there is an expansion, and these technologies are rapidly kind of emerging and becoming less costly. In fact, solar and wind energy is the least costly type of electricity that there is. Back to this, this whole discussion about weather and climate, if what you're saying is the attribution doesn't mean that climate causes an event, but does cause the extremity of it then to joke you public, to me, that's just like saying climate does make these things happen, uh, make the, the, the great effect upon us. It's all, it's, I'm not trying to quibble or mince words, but it's almost like saying that extreme weather is caused by climate. Yes, you can connect the dots between the two. Yes. I mean, it is it is essentially the way you phrase it, you know, um, and it's about semantics, which in the science world we're very focused on. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, so weather exists. You know, we're always going to have weather. And on times we're going to have bad weather. We're going to have heat waves. But yes, climate change is amping all of these things up. Indeed. And we're going to go to break now. But what you all have drawn out and we'll talk about it in the other side, it's really about communication. And, and, and we've learned that. And that's what we try to do here at Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio. It's it's communication, just like climate trammel just indicated. So we'll be right back on the other side with these expert guests who really are making us smarter today. We want to give a shout out now to our sponsors. That is Natural Awakenings, Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex Magazine, the Green Healthy and Sustainable Living Authority for the DFW Metroplex and North Texas communities. Print issues of Natural Awakenings can be found in all HEB stores, all central markets, sunflower shops, and many, many other locations, as well as available free for download online at nadallas.com. Check them out. Our other sponsor is North Haven Gardens, serving the Metroplex since 1951, the most respected horticultural establishment in North Texas, offering gardening and plant education, concierge services, DIY classes, gifts, and more. Check them out at nhg.com. And our other sponsor is Lynn Dental Care, 
practicing dentistry for over 38 years with a holistic approach looking at the whole body, none mercury. Specializing in periodontics, Dr. Lynn is board certified by the International Academy of Oral Medicine and Toxicology. Check them out at lindentalcare.com and we want to give a special shout out to EarthX. The expo starts this weekend. Thursday starts their conferences and they are having uh, one on climate change as well as a number of others. So check them out Thursday through this Sunday. Thank you, sponsors. Welcome back to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio. To today's episode on Earth Day Month, the theme of which is investing in our planet. And today we're talking about how does investing in our planet look to and look for future generations. And today we have with us Lauren Casey with Climate Central and Grace Dalshaw with Our Climate, as well as our own green businessman, Trammell Crow. And we've been talking today, um, giving shout outs for the Earth X. Expo, which is happening really right during this time. We've been referring to it as this weekend. Well, this weekend is here. EarthX is going on um, today, Saturday, and will continue on through tomorrow. So we want to go back now to our guest. And I want to start with you, Grace, this time. I want to talk about what are some ways or how do you think technology or emerging technologies what role will they play in investing uh, in our planet for future generations? Yeah, I think, you know, it's already been said today, but renewable energy technology is one of the you know, leading technologies that is going to play a part in investing in our planet and investing in um, the dismantling of fossil fuels, which is really what the youth movement is all about, is divesting from fossil fuels and investing in renewable energy technology. Um, and there's a lot of other technology that's emerging, like carbon sequestration technology that is, you know, taking extra carbon out of the atmosphere. Um, I think that technology is going to play an important role in investing in future generations. But I really think a lot of the investment, and call it, maybe it's technology, maybe it's not, a lot of the investments that's going to play the largest role in investing for future generations is just investing in our communities and community-led solutions. And doing, you know, investing, like we said before, in, in things like affordable housing and healthcare and those types of technologies that's going to to help people have, you know, equitable access to resilience as we're seeing the climate crisis expand. I want to talk to you though in in terms of youth advocacy about communication. Uh, what are you seeing as the, the most effective effective modes uh, of communicating to get people on board? Yeah, I think that climate change has become a very polarized issue when it shouldn't be, right? It shouldn't be, it, it just, it shouldn't be a polarized issue to say that people deserve clean air and clean water, but it has become that. So a lot of times when you bring up, you know, things like the climate crisis, um, it can kind of almost be a buzzword that causes people to shut down um, because it's become very polarized within different political parties. Um, but really at the core, I think everyone is feeling the effects of climate change. And I hear people talk about climate change all the time. You know, I, in my community, I live in a smaller rural agricultural town outside of Seattle. Um, and, you know, I go out in that community all the time and I hear farmers talking about, oh, the, the seasons are changing. Oh, it's warmer than usual. People are talking about the weather. I mean, it was snowing this morning in April, which is so crazy for Washington. And people are talking about that. Oh, like they're noticing the weather patterns and the changes 
that climate change is causing. And that's why I really think that we need to start this conversation. It's just having very open, very candid conversations with people at the grassroots level about how are they experiencing climate change? Because everyone's talking about it and everyone's aware of it. And I think really people just want to feel like they're a part of the solution. So building from the ground up and having those brainstorming conversations and collaborative conversations with people that hone in on the the grassroots community-led solutions, I think is really the way that's going to bring more people into this movement and make people feel heard and listened to and well-represented. Indeed, and I thoroughly agree. That's the premise of this of this uh, broadcast, Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio, is to talk to ordinary people in their everyday lives who many times do not perceive they're being talked to. But that also does has caused us over these four years to really focus on communication, as does Climate Central. Uh, and, and one of the things, one of these little things that I, I personally like to do, you know, you're standing in a line somewhere or you're with a group of people and people start talking about the weather. Well, my favorite thing is to always bring up climate change in that conversation. You know, people may say, oh, my allergies are bothering me. Oh, I go to climate change. Oh, it's cool outside. Oh, I go to climate it's like I found myriad ways <laughs> to take all of those um, in-line waiting conversations to, uh, to climate change. Small things, but, but certainly uh, effective. But Grace, I, I, can you tell us about some of the most successful examples of youth-led advocacy on climate change? Yeah, I think the youth climate movement is one of the largest environmental movements and one of the largest youth movements that we've seen ever in history. And um, in you know, 2019, with the start of Greta Thunberg and the climate strikes that we saw you know, globally, that is a huge success story of just the, the momentum and the amount of young people that are feeling motivated enough to skip out on school, to go and show up in the streets, you know, Friday after Friday after Friday, in, in participating in these climate strikes. Um, and I think you know, organizations like Our Climate that I represent that mobilize hundreds of young people a year, uh, the Sunrise Movement is a really big example of you know, successful youth advocacy and youth engagement too. Um, but really, I think most young people are environmental activists in one way or another. Um, I mean, I grew up, literally grew up being a climate activist. All of my friends are climate activists. Um, I, I go on social media spaces and I see young people all across the world talking about climate all the time. And I think those daily conversations that we're seeing are success stories of young people showing up day after day and advocating for climate justice. Are there any specific laws or re regulations that y you can trace back to youth advocacy? I think there's lots of them. I mean, um, just in the, the state level We've seen in Washington state specifically um, bills like the Climate Commitment Act being passed that's going to invest money into our communities in Washington for climate resiliency. And that largely was passed in part by young people showing up and advocating with a lot of different NGOs. You know, it's not all because of young people. There are obviously adults that are working in this space too, but young people are really the ones that are leading the movement. And a lot of the state level policies that we're seeing passed across the nation that feed upwards into national policies as well are a result of young people. I would say the Inflation Reduction Act was largely in past because of the pressure that young people have consistently put on the government year after year after year. Um, and the momentum around the Green New Deal has largely been fed by movements like the Sunrise Movement that are founded by young people. So most of these modern day environmental justice policies that we're seeing 
are a result of young people showing up and putting pressures on their elected officials. Tremel, I'm going to throw it back to you. Last question that you may you may have before we, we close. We've got just a, a few minutes. Uh, is our climate involved down here in Texas? Our climate is not currently involved in Texas. So we have state-level programs where we focus on state policy specifically, and that's in Washington, Oregon, Massachusetts, New York, and Florida. And then we have a federal program that works on federal policy, and we engage students from any other state that we don't have state programs in. So students from Texas can absolutely get involved in our climate and work virtually to advocate for federal policy, but we don't currently have a state-level program in Texas. Um, Maybe that will change in the future, but as of right now, we don't. Well, y'all come down here because we need you seriously. Uh, There's a lot of climate denial down here. It's not like what you're saying up there. When somebody talks to other, they don't say climate unless they want to start an argument. We have sunrise movement here, but we really need a lot, a lot more uh, bulk to our youth advocacy movements here, for sure. At the event, we have many youth and uh, climate ambassadors from the United Nations and climate negotiation workshops, because they will be sitting at the table at the COP talks in the future. For sure. And I will say young people are sitting at the tables at the COP talks now. Um, I mean, I attended a COP conference when I was in college. I was 19 and I went and was able to be a part of these conversations. And there was students younger than me that were at that event. So I think, you know, we talk about young people are the future of climate solutions, but young people are the now. They're they're doing the work now and they're, they're having a seat at the table in the conversations that we're seeing now. And they should. They should have a seat at that table. What both of you do, and, and let's not minimize the uh, importance of the weatherman, weather people all over the country now. I don't hear them talking about climate during the weather report so much, but they are making their points clear. They are, in, indeed. And we just have a few minutes to go before we, we close. And one last thing for you, Lauren. I want to talk about, again, technology and meteorology, because you all provide such important data and science. Is there some emerging technology that's coming up or anything that's going to just really revolutionize what you all are able to do in terms of helping us focus and measure the climate impact? or climate attribution to our weather? Sure. I mean, there's always continual advancement in our model data, our climate models in particular, and the advancement and the resolution improvements in going, looking backwards to a simulated past environment and using that data to kind of be predictive of what to expect in the future and also to measure the changes more accurately. Indeed. I like that measuring the changes more accurately. And, 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 and I think that's going to be called upon a lot more in the future, as, as Trammell just talked about, as we're trying to explain and, and communicate the intersection with climate change and our weather. So you all do a, a, a really good job. I want to thank all of you all for being with us today. You really have made us smarter. We've been with Lauren Casey uh, with Climate Central, and she's a meteorologist, and we've been with Grace Doshall with Our Climate, and she is a youth organizer and advocate. And, of course, thank you, Tremel S. Crow, our own green businessman. And uh, if you can, give one more shout-out for the Earth X Expo that's going on now. Please come down to Fair Park, where we have uh, conferences, seven public stages, talking about all day long different issues, 
Van Jones has just already spoken at noon today, and uh, about 500 different exhibits of NGOs, corporations, government agencies, colleges, in fact, uh, at Washington State University uh, up here. Thank you. We appreciate all of you all making time to be with us today. And thank you, listeners, for listening in today to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio. The conversation starts here, but our goal is for it to continue in your home, in your social circles, in your workplaces, at the water cooler, and in the grocery checkout line so that we can all work together to realize that healthy living is simply not possible without a healthy planet. Our culture is the result of a trillion tiny acts taken by billions of people every day like yourselves. And each of those can seem insignificant, but all of those tiny acts add up one way or the other to the change that we each live through. This is your host, Bernice Butler. Thank you for listening in today and listening again next week for our last show on Earth Day Month. And listen to any of our past shows on podcast wherever you get yours. Thank you.